Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. The final from the Rogers Center in Toronto. It's the Toronto Blue Jays 3, the Cleveland Indians 0. I'm Davey Ferris, lifelong Cleveland baseball fan, and I want to talk about the actual game on the field. The thing I enjoy, watching baseball being played. And this one, uh, this one was the boring one that we thought two nights ago was going to be. We thought that one until the Indians started making an amazing comeback off of the Toronto bullpen. And in fact, Underwood and Manning were begging the whole time as soon as Toronto went to its bullpen for the same kind of result. It just wasn't meant to be. The Indians are held to three hits on this one, getting shut out by the Blue Jays. And man, did their offense just run out of steam in Toronto. Jose Ramirez Getting the day off, it bumps everybody up in the lineup. So Fermil goes up to third, Bobby Bradley up to fourth, Harold up to fifth, and there was just no fire. And, and you know what? It was the changeup coming back to haunt the Indians again. Uh, Stripling was very good in this one. In fact, both starters were very good in this one. Believe me, we're going to talk a lot about Tristan McKenzie in this episode. But Ross Stripling was very good. Six innings pitched, three hits, no runs, one walk, six strikeouts on 98 pitches. He was only hard hit five times, and the changeup was really working against these Indians hitters again. He threw 22 changeups. He obviously threw the fastball the most, 45 times. Changeup was next at 22 times. On 12 swings, the Indians whiffed eight times. Add in two called strikes. It's good for a CSW of 45% on his changeup. We did put the ball in play three times, but our average exit velocity on those was 68.4 miles per hour. And this isn't one where like one was hit 100 and one was hit 20. The minimum exit velocity off that was 57.3. And the max exit velocity off of his changeup was 79 miles per hour. So we did not hit anything hard off of his changeup. We struggled against that changeup all night long. In fact, I bet if we go over to the illustrator here and we just look at the strikeouts, um, I bet we could see a lot of changeups from Ross Stripling. Yep. He got three strikeouts on the changeup. He got Austin Hedges that was looking he got Bobby Bradley swinging, and he got Bobby Bradley swinging really bad down and away in the sixth inning. That was a bad one. He got Owen Miller with a fastball called strike at the bottom of the strike zone. He got Bradley Zimmer a called strike with a slider on the inside edge. That one Bobby Bradley had a or uh, Bradley Zimmer had a big problem with. He had some worse for the umpire after that one. It was a little bit off the plate, but. When a guy's locked in and kind of dominating you, he's going to get a little bit of an expanded strike zone there. And Bradley Zimmer probably has to do a better job of protecting the zone in that situation in a 1-2 count. And then he got Harold Ramirez swinging at a high outside fastball for his sixth strikeout. So three on the changeup there. Like I said, the changeup posing big problems for Indians hitters all night. So that's what was going on offensively for the Indians. I mean... Three hits, three singles. Ahmed Rosario, uh, Badly Zimmer actually reached on an error. That was his only time on base. But Ahmed Rosario singles, Fermil Reyes singles, Owen Miller singles. That's it. There wasn't much going on. In fact, Ahmed Rosario and Fermil Reyes were both on base twice in this game because they had the two walks. So 
There were times when the Indians' offense had things going, had possibilities. Um, they had runners on in that first inning. They had two runners on in that first inning, and Harold Ramirez was forced out uh, to end that threat. And then later in the sixth inning, again, Ahmed Rosario and Fermil Reyes are on, and again, Harold Ramirez would ground out. Now he'd ground out at 103.8 miles per hour after Bobby Bradley struck out to one of those changeups, but he would ground out to end that threat. And Harold Ramirez really struggles against the changeup. Let's see what those pitches were that Harold Ramirez struggled against. Um, the first at-bat, he got him out with a changeup. Yep, that's how he grounded out. With a changeup, he grounds out to third base. And then in that sixth inning, let's see again when he comes up. Oh, this time it was the slider. This time he got him with a slider down and away on, oh man, on an 0-2 count. So he swings at the slider in the dirt to start the at-bat. Then swings at a force then let a forcing fastball go right down the pipe. That is just terrible plate discipline. I mean, if Harold Ramirez is playing MLB The Show right now, they would be subtracting points from his plate discipline numbers for an at-bat like that, because that is brutal. Swing at something in the dirt, let a fastball go down the middle, and then swing at a slider down and away, arguably a strike that you ground out to... Uh, ground out to shortstop with. Now, Harold Ramirez, looking at his number against the different pitch types, obviously against the fastballs, he's doing much better. 288 hitter against the fastballs, 455 slugging. Against breaking balls, sliders, curves, he's hitting 233, only slugging 344. And against changeups, split fingers, screwballs, forkballs, the off-speed pitches, so basically changeups, he's only hitting 208. Slugging 375. So it's bad. It is bad for Harold Ramirez against those changeups. He is definitely a guy that needs to hunt those fastballs. And he lets one go in this at bat against Stripling here in the six with two runners on a chance to just to get in the game because a 3 0 game. It's not like the Indians were out of it. This is where we get into Tristan McKenzie, who pitched fantastic and kept them in the game the entire night. McKenzie was locked in. And his final line on the day, seven innings pitched, five hits, three earned runs, no walks, four strikeouts. He did allow a home run. He was hard hit one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight times, but really did a good job of limiting damage of basically, basically, if you take Bo Bichette out of this lineup, he would have pitched a shutout. Bo Bichette is the only Blue Jays hitter that really got to him, really got to him. I mean, he only gave up hits to Guerrero Jr., to Marcus Simeon, Bo Bichette, and then he gave up one hit to Santiago Espinal down at the bottom of the lineup. And it was Bichette in the top of the lineup that scored the runs. So uh, Vlad Guerrero singles, and then Bo Bichette gets a slider down the middle that he cranks for a home run. And uh, there were tons of stats after the game about Boba because he reached 20 home runs on the season. And that puts him in some elite company with like the youngest shortstop to get to a 20 home run season. He actually tied Johnny Peralta. Yeah, former Indians shortstop Johnny Peralta. I think it was like 106 days 
in MLB to get to a 20 home run season. And then something like he's the third Blue Jays shortstop to ever do it. Uh, yeah. So uh, he hit set, uh, didn't set, but he reached some milestones by getting to a 20 home run season so young. And uh, this Blue Jays lineup is really young and really good and is going to be around for a while. And it's probably lucky that they're in the AL East and we don't have to face them 18 times or whatever it is in a season. We only have to see them twice because this is a good lineup. It's going to be really interesting if this team can make a run at the wild card and get into the playoffs because it would give them a lot of experience. And I think this is a team you really got to keep your eye on these Blue Jays, but it's Bo Bichette doing all the damage, and I think it's interesting the way McKenzie approached him in this game, because if you go and look at his very first at-bat of the game, uh, this is to lead off the second inning, he's attacking him with hard stuff, he fouls off a fastball uh, on the outside edge, he throws another fastball high, way high, that doesn't even need to swing at, doesn't even think about uh, throws him another fastball on the outside edge that he fouls off and then comes back with a curveball kind of down the middle, a little bit inside, and he's able to fly out to center field, only at 86 mile per hour exit velocity, 44 degree launch angle. So good old major league pop-up. That's what those numbers tell me. Now, the next time up, he attacks him with all that hard stuff, right? And then when he finally gets ahead, he drops that curveball. The next time he's up, he goes all slider. Slider way in the dirt, way outside, doesn't have to worry about it. Slider high that he lets go for a ball. Throws him a third slider right down the pipe that he hits for the home run. 105.6 mile per hour exit velocity, 409 feet. Why attack him so much with fastballs in that first at-bat and then go slider later? Then when they score their next run after Simeon doubles off of him, what pitch did Simeon hit the double off of? Finally got it on a four-seam fastball that was high. That was high at the top of the zone. Simeon went up and got it. And uh, that was a tough at-bat. That was a six-pitch at-bat. Then Bobachette comes up, and he goes back to fastballs. Throws him a fastball away, a fastball on the outer edge that he fouls off, and then tries to drop a curveball on him, and he just singles it back up the middle. And that's just a good piece of hitting right there from Bo Bichette. I mean, you get a curveball. It's on the plate. It's towards the middle of the plate, but it's down. The easiest thing to do with that is shoot it back up the middle. There's a ton of room there, ton of grass there, and he gets it out of the outfield and brings in that runner from second. That's just some good hitting from Bo Bichette right there. If he tried to do too much with that curveball, if he tried to hit another home run, he would have swung and missed. But... Trying to hit it back up the middle, taking a nice easier swing. He's able to keep the bat head on the ball and shoot it back up the middle. Only 78.4 miles per hour, but there ain't no infielders there up the middle, so it's the perfect spot to drop that curveball. So his next at bat, they decide to go with back to the hard stuff and the curveball combination. And it makes me wonder, you know, what is Bobachette hitting against some of these pitches, just like we looked at Harold Ramirez? Let's take a look at Bobachette here. And he's hitting 313 off of breaking balls. Now, you're not going to get anything easy past this guy. He's hitting 281 off of fastballs, 313 off of off breaking balls, sliders and curves, and 293 off of off-speed pitches. And he's slugging over 400, 500 off of the breaking balls, over 400 against the other two pitches. So there's really no easy pitch to get past 
Bo Bichette. He's just a good hitter. There's a reason he's hitting fourth. There's a reason he's hitting 293 with an 828 OPS. He's a good hitter. So yeah, so they tried mixing up their approach and he was ready for everything that McKenzie had. Now that is not to say, not to take anything away from Tristan McKenzie because here comes the Tristan McKenzie praise train. McKenzie was fantastic today. He did a really good job of keeping all their hitters off balance and just pounding the strike zone. He was relentless. He uh, 90 pitches, 66 for strikes. Uh, he got six ground outs and six flyouts, so that was pretty even. Only four strikeouts on the day, but I liked what he was doing with his strikeouts. In fact, let's go to the strikeouts and let's see what McKenzie did. Mostly on fastballs and then one curveball and keeping it away from the right-handed hitters. He couldn't get any lefties. He got Espinal on a high fastball. In fact, this is very close to the same pitch that Simeon ends up hitting for a double. So you see what he was doing against Simeon. He had already got Espinal on a 1-2 count to swing at the high fastball. He throws one on a full count to uh, Simeon, and Simeon gets up there and hits it for a double down the left field line. He got George Springer on a fastball. Uh, that was the uh, in the fourth inning. He got uh, Marcus Simeon on a fastball outside in the first inning. And he got George Springer on a curveball. That was in the first inning on a 1-2 count. We talked about Springer uh, in that first inning. And what was he going to do in his very first at-bat? Obviously, it hit home runs in his first two at-bats the last two games. So what was he going to do here? Well, this time, he takes a fastball. What? Are you kidding me? How could you take? He thought for sure there is no way these guys are going to throw me a first-pitch fastball. What does McKenzie do? He mans up and throws him a first-pitch fastball at the knees. Granted, it's at the knees, but it's a strike. It's clearly a strike. He then throws him one up at the top of the zone that he swings through for a swinging strike. Uh, throws him another one high that he lays off. And then finally drops the curveball a little bit off the outside edge of the plate that he swings through to get his first strike out of the game. So he handles Springer to start the game. And that probably felt really good for Tristan McKenzie. Probably felt really good for the entire Indians team. I'm sure McKenzie sitting down Springer in that first at bat let the entire Indians team take a nice deep breath and get into the game and relax. Because after Springer hits leadoff home runs against you two days in a row, you're probably a little on edge to start the game. Going back to the illustrator here, uh, yeah, he is just absolutely pounding the zone with everything, with the fastball, with the curveball, with the slider. Really good command. A few times he reaches across the zone with the slider. That's what you want to see. You want to see pounding the strike zone and then bringing it across the strike zone. Let them know you could throw it for a strike so that they have to chase it outside. He didn't throw as many curveballs down. He really used the curveball in the zone a lot, but still reaching to that outside corner, right? Reaching across the zone for the right-handed pitcher to that outside corner with both the slider and the curveball, and then just pounding fastballs, a lot of high fastballs, uh, but really all over the strike zone using all four quadrants. So it's a great job by Tristan McKenzie. His CSW numbers aren't sparkling, but it helps that he got 23 foul balls on the day. Hey, those count as strikes, so uh, that really helps out get the count in your favor. His fastball, on 34 swings, they only had six whiffs, but they fouled off 17 fastballs. They did have seven called strikes. It's good for a 23% CSW. Uh, on the slider, it's a 28% CSW. On a curveball, it's only 19 
It's good for a 23% CSW on the day. The only whiff on his curveball was Springer in that first at-bat. It's the only one. And that's maybe because he was keeping it up in the zone. I mean, he got four foul balls on it. They put six in play. Now, the good news is that the average exit velocity off him, even though he gave up eight hard-hit balls on the day, the average exit velocity off all his pitches is in the mid-80s. 84.9 off his fastball, 87.5 off his slider, 85.5 off his curveball. How many days have we seen these pitchers where they really lock into one pitch and they just hammer it all day? They didn't do that to Tristan McKenzie. Everything, the exit velocity on all his pitches was down. And that is awesome to see from Tristan McKenzie. Now, last thing, the last good news about McKenzie is that no walks on the day. That is absolutely awesome. If you want to control a baseball game and limit damage, man, throwing up a zero in the walk column is absolutely huge. And let's take a look at his game logs here, and let's see how he's been doing in the walk category lately. So his last outing, um, for his last outing against the White Sox, he had three walks. It's been one walk, one walk, one walk, and then there were four walks against the Seattle Mariners in his only start in May. So his, his starts have been a little broken up because uh, obviously he's been up and down, and there was the All Star break. So in his last outing against the White Sox on uh, July 31st, it was three walks. He gave up six runs in that game. So that was a struggle. Those walks really hurt him. So did the home runs, three home runs. This one, he limits the walks, and it really helps him out. Lasts longer into the game because of it, and it really helps him out. So a good job from Tristan McKenzie and Man, they are just going to keep working with this kid. They talked about it. Andre Knott had some good insight into the things they've been doing in between starts to work on his mechanics and work on his confidence. And it's it's showing. It's showing. Tristan McKenzie has so much potential. He has, he has the chance to be an absolute star in this league. And it's so great that he's getting this opportunity this season. He's, he's very young. Very young still. There is a long way to go. 24 years old. There is a long road ahead for Tristan McKenzie. And uh, you got to stay patient with him, Indians fans. Absolutely have to stay patient and stay behind him. Right? This guy could be an absolute ace one day. So it's great stuff from Tristan McKenzie. Unfortunately, the Indians offense just absolutely struggled. So... You know, it's a tough series. We now get to face Detroit. We get to come home against Detroit and then a makeup game against Cincinnati. So that is what is coming up on the schedule here. And then Oakland. So we have a long homestand here, a nice seven-game homestand. Uh, Oakland will be a good challenge. So will Cincinnati. So will Detroit. Detroit is nipping at our heels right now for second place. Uh, The AL Central is down across the board, except for the White Sox. I mean, we're all under 500, except for the White Sox now. Uh, But Detroit is nipping at our heels for second place. That would be really bad. Uh, I I don't know why, but falling behind Detroit, it feels like we should be miles ahead of Detroit. We've got the pitching to be miles ahead of Detroit. Um, So then we get Cincinnati, Oakland, we face Detroit again, we go to Detroit and Minnesota. So it is definitely a chance for us right now at the beginning of August to climb back above 500, 
climb back into a respectable, uh, you know, record. I think if we finish with 85, 86 wins, it'll be a respectable season for the fact that we, our entire pitching staff got decimated by injury. But I know it's playoff or bust right now for you Cleveland Indians fans. Then we get a tougher stretch. We we uh, get L.A. at home, the Angels. Texas should be a pretty easy one. They've traded off a lot of their good players. But then we face Boston uh, twice in uh, within a week stretch, basically. We play them at home. Then we go to Kansas City. Then we go back to Boston. So those will be two tough series. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting month. We have some real challenges and what should be a chance to rack up some wins in this month. So uh, coming up for this Detroit series, we have got uh, Quantrill on the mound against Manning to start on Friday night. We've got Eli Morgan going against Alexander on Saturday. And then on Sunday, we've got Plesak going against Peralta. Plesak really needing a bounce back game after he struggled against uh, the Toronto Blue Jays. So those should be three you know, three solid starters. Quantrill is really starting to figure things out. Eli Morgan was figuring things out. He had a great game against Toronto at the start of that series. So this should be three strong starts, I'm feeling, against the Detroit Tigers in this series. We'll see how it goes. Uh, MVP for the day, obviously Tristan McKenzie. I mean, nobody on offense did anything uh, worth noting. So it's Tristan McKenzie, MVP for the day. Again, his final line, seven innings pitched, five hits, three earned runs, no walks, four strikeouts, the one home run allowed on 90 pitches. It's a great job by him. And it's uh, it's there are some definite things that he can look to in this game and carry forward, knowing that he could pound the zone with strikes and still limit them to five hits and still get plenty of outs. That is something that he can carry forward in the future starts. So it's a tough series up in Toronto, but we definitely learned some things about this team, right? We learned that Eli Morgan has some fight in him. We learned that Tristan McKenzie has some fight in him. We learned that even in the eighth inning, this team has some fight in them. So we learned a lot about this team. The offense just has to figure out the changeup, and they need to figure out how to get something rolling, get a rally rolling. They had runners on in multiple situations in this game and just couldn't get it rolling. All right, that's all my thoughts. Thanks for joining me on this Cleveland baseball morning. More news to come on the logo and the T-shirts and all that stuff. Uh, Hopefully, I'll have time this weekend to kind of finalize everything for my graphic designer and finalize everything for that new logo. You can follow me on Twitter at Davey Barris. I'll have all the updated information there. You can email the show at clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com. Come on, don't tell me you've given up on this team. I know you're still listening, so go ahead and shoot me some emails. Let me know what you think. I've heard a lot of chatter out there on Indians Twitter about Bobby Bradley, about wanting to see Arias and uh, Jimenez get called up and see what they can do up the middle on this team. If you got feelings like that, if you're thinking those things, email me, clevelandbaseballmornings at gmail.com, and we'll talk about it on the show. Also, I'm hosting this podcast on Anchor, so if you go to anchor.fm forward slash Cleveland Baseball Mornings, you can leave a voicemail for the show. We'll play them back on the air, respond to your thoughts, and we'll have a fun conversation amongst the fans about baseball. So thanks again for joining me on this Cleveland Baseball Morning.